Welcome to the EQ Podcast. All right, welcome to the EQ Podcast, a show focused on equipping ministry leaders within the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I'm your host, Zach Lamerson. I have with me Pastor Steve Winery, as always, not always, but most of the time. And uh, we're excited to have on the show today, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Flathead Valley, uh, David Mercer. You're in Montana. And, and how is the weather there, David? Uh, it is hot, like a lot of other places. <laughs> Wait, what's hot to you? Uh, hot is in uh, the, the 90s, when it gets up to, you know, 100. That's pretty, uh-huh. pretty warm here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hot. I'll give yeah. you that. So, David, you've been the lead pastor in Kalispell for over a decade now. Could you give us a little background on how you got called into the ministry and then eventually that how that calling landed you in the Flathead Valley? Yeah, so um, we've been in the Valley for about 22 years, and we helped plant uh, the Calvary Chapel up in Whitefish. And I was in a period of transition um, after that church was rolling, and we got a call in 2009 uh, that this little church— uh, needed uh, a guest pastor. And the Calvary Chapel here at Flathead Valley has been uh, here since 1982, uh, not at this site, but um, it's the oldest Calvary Chapel in Montana. And I said, well, yeah, I'll come and, I'll come and teach. And uh, so I came out the next Sunday and it was in a snowstorm in, in April in Montana. And you can get snow anytime during the year out here. But we, we came down this long two-lane country road all the way down to this, uh, this church, and a woman uh, greeted us out the door. She opened up the door. You know, it was me and my wife and my three little kids, and she goes, oh, you actually came. Oh. <laughs> it caused me to realize right off the bat kind of the struggle uh, that the church had been going through, and I found out that they had been without a pastor for three months, and before, before I even taught— we were praying in a small room, and uh, this one lady looked at me and she said, "Would you be our pastor?" <laughs> I said, "I said no," um, but I said, "I'll help you. Uh, we'll get a we'll get a board going. We'll help you with your finances, you know, and we'll get a pastor here that that will love love you and 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 teach the word." And and so you know, basically over the course of a few months, God did not let us leave, and by the grace of God, that was. Um, that was 14 and a half years ago. Mm. That's fantastic. So you said you're involved in a, a number of church plants in the area. Was it just the one in uh, Whitefish? Yeah, just, just the one in Whitefish. So well, how did you guys get there in the first place? Well, I guess it would be my initially. Go back even further. Let's draw the curtain back a little bit more. What you know? Where did you come from? <laughs> what brought you to Montana? So I was born on a military base in Missouri. Or is that too far? Okay, that's too that's far. A little too far. <laughs> so I, I grew up in southeast Idaho, in a town called Pocatello. Yep. And uh, I was a part of the Calvary Chapel there since uh, about '92. Uh, winter of '92 is when I first set foot into a Calvary Chapel, and that just revolutionized my faith. Imagine that verse by verse teaching, and you get excited about your faith, and you start learning about the Lord, and. Um, after going to Bible college and uh, graduating in 97, I met my wife uh, there at the church in uh, in 1997. 
and we got married in 1998 and we served there at Calvary Chapel for uh, four years. And then God was putting it on our heart uh, to plant something, to go somewhere, to, to do something. And we didn't really know what it was. Well, my wife is from Whitefish, Montana. And so that's the connection. There's your connection. Yeah. We would come up and visit her parents. And there was kind of a, uh, a, a kind of a dream where she said, you know what, if the Lord would call us to Montana and I could be with my parents and, you know, help out, that would be just really, really great. And then the Lord opened up the doors. And so we moved up here in January of 2002. What was your role? I was curious, you know, in that support of someone else's ministry, they're planning the church, kind of what were you doing during that time? You were there for a number of years before you moved to uh, Kalispell. So what did your role look like during that time? And, and, you know, how did you help, you know, that church kind of get off on its you know own two feet, I guess? Uh, the one in Pocatello? Uh, no, the one in, in Whitefish. Oh, well, that one was a, a plant uh, from, from, uh, from zero. Uh, so we, I was on the board. I helped out. I was also the treasurer. Uh, I, I taught a lot and I also led worship. Okay. And so you kind of kept those roles. You did a lot of, yeah, I did a lot of things. And then the guy, uh, the guy that I planted with, his name is uh, Chet and he did, he did a lot of the teaching. And then we had some other people, you know, in supportive roles, you know, from children's ministry to sound and, you know, worship teams and, and whatnot. But it started out pretty, pretty, pretty small and, you know, grew from there. And they've got a, they've got a healthy church up there in Whitefish. Yeah. Awesome. So your uh, church that you're at now, you said it started with just a handful of people. You mentioned over text message that there's probably about three of those people still around that you haven't scared away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've seen growth, uh, you know, and obviously God's doing a work there in that area, which is neat. And so uh, could you kind of walk us through the early years and what those look like and maybe, you know, just seeing how God was moving and working and just maybe some highlights of what God has done for you guys in that ministry? Sure. When we first came and on the first Sunday that I taught, there were nine people in a sanctuary with uh, 67 seats. And so right off the bat, you know, the Lord was speaking to my heart about just minister to the people that are there. Mm -hmm. And then being involved in some larger ministries, I really had to uh, scale back what I, you know, what we were involved in and, and what we did. And that that came that came later, but there was there was no no debt um, at the church, but there was hardly any people, you know, hardly any uh, income coming in with the tithe, and then the building was dilapidated, and then the people, you know, they kind of had an interesting parallel with just they the people had been neglected, and the building had been neglected, yeah. and so one of the you know when we came, the first thing that they um, that they would do is they'd give us a, a little honorarium and all they could afford on a Sunday was 25 bucks at that, at that time. And then it, it progressively got a little bit more, but um, I remember that first summer we painted the church and that was a, a big expenditure. I think the total cost to paint the church at the time was about $770. And, but it, it really got people excited. Uh, it got people, you know, rallied around, you know, serving together and, um, just investing into their into their church building and and it, again it, it paralleled the the spiritual investment of just teaching the people the word uh, week in and week out. But I did I did everything right. 
So you, you, you preach, you lead worship. My wife was instantly the children's ministry director. Right. <laughs> and, and you Did anybody ask her if she played the piano? No, she didn't play. She doesn't play the piano. <laughs> uh, did anybody ask her if she played the piano? Oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> he has played the bass before. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but it was a, it was just a humble, you know, kind of time. And you really have to invest in people one-on-one, -on -one, you know, as far as, um, you know, person doing sound and the ushers and, you know, you have a lot of contact points, a lot of touch points, and then just trying to scale your ministry, you know, and not, not try to do all of the big things from a larger ministry that you might be accustomed to. Um, but just say, okay, what, what can we do and what can we sustain? Oh, no, that's good. I like that. Uh, you're in a, in a town you planted uh, or not planted, but you took that church over just a couple years after Levi Lusco planted in Kalispell as well. And I've had some conversations with you about that. And I was just curious, what's your dynamic like? You know, they're, they're not a, I don't know if they're a mega church or if you'd call, they have a lot of campuses and some of them seem like they have five people at the campus, but I mean, they're definitely widespread. They're very influential in the area, especially among the youth. What has the dynamic been there for you? Cause I know Levi was Calvary kind of background, but he's definitely not book by book, verse by verse guy anymore. So. Yeah, that's a great question. I think early on, a lot of pastors had to wrestle with uh, that dynamic. Like, what, what do they do about it? Because there were people that would leave churches to go to Fresh Life or Skull Church or whatever uh, they were doing, and and they just had to, you know, wrestle with it. But I think that when you kind of came to the realization of Jesus saying, I will build my church, and, and Jesus can do whatever he wants with the church, what we found out was is that we ended up with people that wanted a small church, they wanted just straightforward Bible teaching. They wanted uh, a pastor that's accessible, or they may have gotten saved at Fresh Life and praised the Lord for that. But then they wanted to grow in the Word, and they wanted they wanted a community that they could, you know, be known and know other people in. Mm -hmm. But no, I, think I think had to wrestle with that and just say, you know what, I'm just going to do what God's called me to do. And I'm not going to worry about what somebody else's ministry, you know, is or, or isn't doing. No, I think that's good advice. You know, there's, there's sometimes that, you know, either it's jealousy or there's like bitterness towards a church like that in town. And I think if you have the right perspective to see God's using it and he's doing things there, I, you know, I always celebrate churches in our town. If they've got people going, praise God, we have enough people in tri cities to have like everyone to have a mega church. And so it's like, yeah. I mean, that's the reality is every, you know, you need lots, lots of people can get saved in our town and we want lots of people to get saved. So I appreciate your, you know, your perspective on that. And you've even told me, you know, during COVID you had, you know, they were more locked down and you guys were not so much. What did that look like for your church? Um, we, as far as like what we did, yeah, and you kind of, I mean, you kind of grew. I think a lot of Calvary's, you know, who were open did, but, you oh, know. Right. Maybe. Yeah, we we did the first initial, you know, close down for two weeks to flatten the curve when, when we didn't really understand or people didn't really understand what everything was. And then at that time, we had a very liberal governor, uh, Democratic governor, and he started doing the, well, you can only have uh, a certain capacity, right? So all these yep. other you know, essential businesses were open, 
but a church, which is probably the most essential thing going on the planet, you know, we've got to, you know, space people out and do reservations. And we did that for about three weeks. And after, after about three weeks, we said, look, if you're comfortable coming, then just come. I mean, just trying to arrange chairs and manage a reservation system was ridiculous. And then we had a mask mandate too in our, in our state for a while. And we said, we had a, a little sign on the door that said, regarding the governor's mandate, we have masks inside on the shelf if you'd like to comply, but please be gracious to one another. And we had a couple people, you know, that would wear a mask for whatever reason, but the majority were like, hey, we're going to come in, we're going to be free. And uh, we, we still have, I think, one of the two boxes of masks that we bought early on in a storage <laughs> closet somewhere. <laughs> a for the relic. next pandemic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, people just wanted a church that was going to talk about the truth, you know, and, and say, look, you know, it's interesting what was in the media in the last year, you know, about the virus and the origins and all the stuff. Well, how many of us that can type on a keyboard we, we, we already knew, you know, that spring, you know, by, yeah, right, by exactly. February or, or April or May, you know, it's like, well, okay, we live in a very deceptive world and, um, you know, the, that the people at large are being gaslit by, by governments. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful thing to know that there's coming a day really soon where it says in Isaiah that the government will be upon Jesus shoulder, yeah. one shoulder. He's going to yeah. run the government the way he wants it and it's going to glorify him yeah exactly that's good by the way uh you had a mask mandate washington state had the longest running mask mandate so we definitely trumped you there we we had to wear masks so much longer than you so just well i just wanted to let you know that yeah sorry <laughs> well, the, they, they said we had to wear them yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> whether or not we complied that's a different yeah that's, that's a, a different, story. different thing altogether. you know david when you're thinking about the early days at, at catlin spell you know, we, we got a bunch of guys with small small churches, and a lot of them are, you know, could be in the, exactly the same position uh, that you're in. What what would you say to a guy that's going into a church that's already established, you know, got some people there and maybe is struggling, maybe has been hurt uh, because, of, because of sin or whatever? Uh, what would you say to a guy? For a guy coming into an existing church... Um, I think being very real with the people and, and predictable. So, you know, this church had been without a pastor for three months. And then before that was, it was just unhealthy. It was unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what, um, if you'll have me come back, um, I'll teach a topical message or I'll teach, I'll teach this section of scripture and then I'm going to do Easter. And then we're going to start the book of Matthew. And then I heard uh, some lady said, wow, that's the kind of leadership that this church needs. And I, oh, my God. My heart is like, you, you, you <laughs> sense that as leadership that for me, you know, for the Bible teacher, you just you just say, OK, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start a book of the Bible. Um, but I think just being yourself and being real and showing genuine concern with people uh, goes a long way and not not trying to be flashy or pull out all your best sermons or just just faithfully teach the word chapter by chapter and, and verse by verse and let the people know that you're committed. Because after about two years, you know, I, we had a couple questions from some people and they would say, well, how are you liking it? You, you know, do you think everything's going okay with the church? And it took me a, a little bit and I finally figured out 
that because of their background in other churches or denominational churches, they thought that I was going to transfer out at two or three years and take on a bigger church. Oh, wow. And I said, no, I, I'm here until there's a talking donkey or a pillar of fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's good. And your church, you know, really I've, I've gotten to know some of your staff, uh, and you, you know, obviously you've grown to where you've been able to bring people on. I noticed your wife works at the church too, uh, not as kids ministry director anymore, but you know, as just an office administrator. What's that dynamic work look like? Because I know some pastors would say, "Do not put your wife on staff." And so, I think it can work really, really well, or really, really horribly. <laughs> I, believe, I believe that with any, for for me. It's important to have clearly defined roles, you know, in your in your ministry. And a lot of times that's just kind of the, you know, it could be a title, you know, hey, generally you oversee worship ministry and what goes on in the sanctuary or generally your facilities guy or I mean, whatever. I think it's just important to have have those roles when it comes to uh, what my wife Shannon is doing right now. We've had a lot of transition. So I had I just had a, a gal who was with us for a, a number of years as our children's ministry coordinator and, and our admin assistant. Well, she, she moved on. And so now we're, we're kind of covering the bases, so to speak. And there's been a lot of change. And, and Shannon, who's really plugged in already to the culture of the church and knows people and knows, you know, what, what we do and the coming and going of our ministry for a temporary person, at least we're thinking that she's temporary. Um, it was a great fit. You know where we needed we needed someone immediately in the near term, um, but I, I think it can work really good. And because she was the kids ministry coordinator uh, for so long, you know we've already, you know it was a, it was an easy transition. It wasn't it wasn't difficult. Yeah, no, that's good. Having clearly you know defined this is what you, you know your role is and stuff. And you know I, I work with my wife here at the church, and we, we love working together. And we had to learn how to do that for a long time. It wasn't always easy. Uh, but I think, you know, if you have someone that, you know, you can get along with and more power to you, uh, Steve, I know you're, you know, Bobby's never been a secretary, secretary at the, the church. church. She, she's the principal of our school. But, um, you know, I think your your dynamic was a little different with her. Yeah. Get her in the other building, man. Close but not too close. Yeah. Close but not too close. Actually, she was a, she was the secretary over at the uh, school. And uh, what ended up happening was the principal left, and so she kind of stepped into the role, and she's the best principal She crushes ever. it. She's so good. She's really good. And, uh, you know, uh, she kind of she struggles sometimes with the whole husband-wife relationship at work and, and that kind of thing. And, and uh, I'm kind of not joking about having her in the other building. You know, it's like we're close, and and uh, we can go to lunch together, and that kind of that kind of thing. Um, I, you know, if she was going to be a secretary in here, I'd, I'd have her be somebody else's secretary, mm -hmm. uh, because you know the husband wife thing just just gets intermixed with us, and so yeah. But she, everybody loves my wife. Yeah, <laughs> she's, that's great. Yeah, she's awesome. She does a really that's good great. job. Hey, on the on the church thing regarding what I would encourage somebody coming into maybe a replant or a situation where there's broken something broke at the church and you got yeah. to something that I think is important too of just being real, being predictable, and so that people know what to expect and you know they can bring their friends and all that is I think it'd be very important to understand um, 
what what broke the church? You know, what what is the background? What what actually happened? And and talk to the people that were involved. And maybe you have to come up with a, a, a like understanding from a lot of different angles where you don't have one person that's able to give you the whole scenario and you kind of have to, you know, put it, put it together. But when we realized what happened here, we, we found out that there was um, some bad uh, family relationships in the church, nepotism at the leadership level, and there was also legalism. And so uh, we've, we recognized that. And then uh, some of the source of it uh, came from a ministry that was a a ministry that would call out false teachers and was very, very legalistic and anti this and anti that. And if you had a relationship with this person or had a picture of this person on your desk, or, I mean, there was just, you know, all these things where they go, Hey, so-and-so, you know, attended some kind of conference where somebody else was. And because of that, you know, you're connected with, and so that was really unhealthy. But when they said, Hey, can we put out this publication on the back table? And it's a publication that we probably are all heard of. Knowing the background, I said, you know what? Not right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think understanding yeah. uh, what broke the church and, and helps the, the new leader be sensitive to uh, moving forward and to the people uh, that they're investing into. Yeah, that's a really okay. good point. Yeah. A, and I would say, it, too, make sure that you have, you have um, a board that, that has your back, whether you're church planning or whether it's a reboot or, or a replant, you, you need to have people that will tell you the truth, but they're supportive of the pastor and they're supportive of the vision. I think that's so, so essential. So you don't have yes men, but you have men that will tell you the truth and they trust you and they're going to, they're going to take care of you. Um, because you, you need that when there's difficulty, you need that when there's backbiting or you get a, you know, you get an anonymous letter that kind of affected you before you had a chance to shred it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to have a good board. Yeah. Have, have that. You know, it's amazing um, how the enemy can just uh, decimate a church. And um, a, a lot of times we, we think about uh, larger churches that have pastors that, uh, that have a moral failure and, and all the, all the garbage that comes from that. But um, I've been in situations where very small churches, you know, 75 people in a church, and and they've had something awful take place. And it just goes on for decades, especially when you're talking about smaller towns. Uh, yeah. the, the repercussions of that can just be really bad. Yeah. Good wisdom there, knowing what went on and, and just being sensitive to... Um, how people are still taking that after a period of time. Yep. I you know, like that's interesting, Mike. My next question was about church government because you mentioned your board and having the board have your back and having guys you can trust, but that will keep you accountable. You know, Calvary's are Moses style, and I assume I assume you are. I didn't ask you, but um, Moses style leadership. What are some of the advantages of that government style? Because I know there is, even in the Calvary movement, there are guys kind of wafting between well maybe i don't want to have all that power because they see guys who fall and they fail and and uh i i do feel like there's a a real advantage to the moses style of leadership yeah i've always looked at it um like pastor-led board supported and it's sort of hard to represent on an org chart you know with the (laughs) the lines but we have a we have a board that will 
you know, make sure that, you know, I get time with my wife and, you know, I've got a board member that will ask me, Hey, you know, when, when are you going to peel this thing off of your plate and hand that off, you know, those type of things. And then we also have pastors on staff too, which are, which are elders and we're doing, you know, the, the day-to-day kind of ministry. And we, we bounce all kinds of stuff off of each other and, and whatnot. Um, but I think, I think it's good that you have a group of guys that you have to explain things to. Um, and they ask questions because they're not in the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, um, you know, one of our, one of our board members um, because of his travel and uh, you know, where he lives and where he goes and what he does for business. We don't, we don't see him, you know, a lot here. And so I have to, a lot of times explain things from a ground zero point, or he asks questions that I, I wasn't really thinking about, which I think is really healthy. I think it's really good. Yeah. I think that's good. That mixture of having guys who are in the day to day too. And then also having some guys that you like, I think that's a, kind of a helpful perspective, I guess is the best way to put it. Just to, you know, be able to, to run things healthy and keep people informed and all that stuff. So and one of the, really one of the... the concept of having elders being, being somewhat elder where they, they have experience in, in business or ministry. Um, and I've got, I've got, you know, we have a four member board right now and I'm one of them. So there's three other gentlemen on the board and they all have different personalities with different giftings and backgrounds, different levels of, of business and understanding and, you know, reading financial reports and whatnot. But I just really love that perspective. And I know, I know that I've got the right guys on the bus, so to speak. Yeah. And if I have one guy peel off, I've never been quick to replace a board member just because I need a warm body. I think that is a big, big mistake because it's easy to get someone on. It's hard to get them off if they don't agree with the direction of the church or the vision or that kind of thing. Yeah. One, one of the things that uh, I think happens many times with church government is, is people come down, uh, you know, they, they think that the Moses style is, is too authoritarian and, and they'll, they'll talk about, you need to have accountability and, and that kind of thing. And, and I think that's absolutely true. But, you know, when you, when you look at church government, the problem is that it's church government. You know, it's got you got people involved with it, and mm-hmm. so if you got a if you got a pastor who's not following Jesus, then you're going to have problems. And if you have board members that aren't following Jesus, then you're going to have problems. And yep. so uh, you know it's it, it's going to be a problem one way or another. And um, I'm I'm like you. I like I like having guys on my board who are informed and uh, will tell the truth and, and give me their perspective and. And uh, and that kind of thing. One of the one of the things that happens with uh, that I've noticed with uh, bigger churches is I can't I cannot expect my board members to to run my church. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that's that's what's happening with the pastors on staff, and so it it starts getting to a situation where they literally cannot do the the business. They have to be guys that are there to give you advice and. Uh, see the big picture and and uh, uh, and again be able to hold you accountable and and uh, that kind of thing. But um, really, when I when I look at what's happening around here, um, I I have a lot of trust and uh, I have to rely a lot on my leadership uh, in the church. And so uh, the the whole church leadership thing 
has a tendency to morph over time. And you, you still want those good rock solid foundations and, and, uh, and, and, you know, in the, in the situation that you're in, but, um, yeah, you got to have godly guys. You got to have guys who, they, they know where you're going and, and know why you're, why you're doing the things that you're doing. And, uh, man, if you don't, there can, there can just be such turmoil that comes yeah. from that. Yeah. You know, years ago, uh, John Michaels, uh, my mentor, taught me at Bible College. Um, he talked about quadrants, four quadrants, and he, he drew, drew out this plus on a, on a napkin. It was at a, at a restaurant. And he said, you know what, when it comes to boards and staff and your pastors and your, and your volunteers, everybody's got a quadrant. So your, your board members don't come on site and they, they don't, they're not the boss of the staff or the other pastors, exactly. or, you know, uh, you know, running volunteers. That's, that's your role. And, and he just wrote this out and I've, I've always remembered that. And I've got a board member that just reminded me, you know, of that too. Like one of the, one of the key things that he's learned over the years is those quadrants, you know, mm -hmm. where you've got the, you've got the board, you have the, the pastors, you have staff and, and volunteers and everybody's got to stay in their, in their quadrant and it yep. works. It works really well. Yep. Stay in your lane. Yeah, stay in your lane. <laughs> Uh, just I'm going to float this out there, Dave, because you mentioned it's hard to get rid of a guy once you bring him on. Um, you know, we started doing a number of years ago uh, term limits for elders. And so they serve for two years. And uh, then we'll, we have a handful of guys that we kind of rotate through. But it's like it just makes it a lot less awkward. And guys have the expectation, OK, I'm only going to be here for a couple of years. I might be off a year and back on mm -hmm. after a year. But it does make it a lot easier to not, if there's a guy we don't want on the board, to be like, all right, I'm probably term's not going to. Your term's over. Yeah. Moving on. Right. I love the idea of ro rotating. So you have a new guy, you have a middle uh -huh. you know, term guy, and you got a guy that's about ready to, to pop off. But what I've found, in, and while that works you know, in on paper, in small churches, we don't have that yes. kind of pool or in a rural right. ministry. So we have we do have that mechanism in our bylaws where I believe it's a two or three year term. I'd have to look it up. But then uh, we also have the uh, we've given ourselves our own permission to to re up if necessary. So if things are cranking and there's no reason for them to rotate, then why lose somebody who's really good and and you've been with for you know like one one board member he's been on since the beginning yeah. and traveled the world with him and we've been on mountain peaks together and you know we you know he's so faithful so why would i want him to, to rotate off when he's totally comfortable you know serving as a board member so that's the that's the way we do that yeah no i think steve made the point you know depending on what that size is it, that dynamic changes and so when you're a smaller church that's not as is feasible, but I like that. You said you've been on mountaintops. You're also in the valley. So there you go. You've been high and low together. Uh, a few more questions. We call this a lightning round. So just a real quick answer to these questions. Uh, number one is who is your go-to pastor, dead or alive, to listen to? Um, I love listening to Joe Foch and Damian Kyle. Yes. Both uh, are alive. Yeah, both are, yeah, they're still alive. Uh, recent good read, a book you've read that you'd suggest to other pastors to read. Uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Okay. Lastly, one piece of advice you'd give for someone in full-time ministry. 
I would say encourage your teams, the, the people that are serving with you, whether it's the people in the sound booth or your ushers or your hospitality team, figure out a way to en encourage those people who you're serving with, you know, give them a you know birthday card, give them a gift certificate. Um, just always be as thankful as you possibly can, especially, especially those volunteers, you know, that volunteer their time and, uh, yeah, just take take care of your teams. Yep. Awesome, Dave. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to see you guys. The EQ Podcast is here as a resource for our listeners. Check us out at eqministry.com. On our website, you'll find a variety of helpful tools, including past ministry conferences and a contact form to seek out help or counsel from seasoned Calvary pastors who want to encourage you in your serving or answer your ministry-related questions. Until next time, God bless.